0: Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that will help you with your life shaped by the Word. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 and 24, it says this, Then the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So we can definitively say, no, understand that marriage is not a social construct. It is not given to us something by this culture or that culture or society. Marriage was get designed, planned, and given to us by God. It is the relationship by which he builds a family, he builds a community, he builds an entire society. Today we're, we're beginning a six week study of marriage. And uh, if you were here last week, you remember me saying, or if you weren't here last week, kind of to know where we are. Uh, we're, this year, 2024, I'm going to be doing six or seven individual sermon series. They all stand on their own. They're not necessarily connected to one another, but they're all going to speak to an, kind of an overarching thing. How how do I prepare to live in a society that is increasingly anti-Christian? How how do I prepare for persecution? Or as we're saying, how do I find clarity, purpose, strength, direction in the midst of the chaotic world that we live in? You know, a positive way to say all these statements, how do I remain faithful to God? And I believe this is a room of people watching online, by and large, I want to be faithful to God. You want to be faithful to God all the way, all the way to the end, whatever that means, whatever the question, the issue, the environment, I, we want to be faithful to God. So that's what we're trying to accomplish this year, and I hope all of these various series will help us understand that, which then leads to the question, well, What does marriage have to do with surviving persecution? What does marriage have to do with living in the culture and the world that we live in today? So to be clear, uh, especially since marriage is the first series we're looking at uh, under this theme, I am not saying you need to be married to be faithful to God. Please hear me say that. You do not need to be married to be faithful to God. You don't need to be married to survive persecution. As a matter of fact, you want to know something kind of crazy? 1 Corinthians chapter 7 actually suggests that if you're in persecution, you might want to stay single. It doesn't say get single if you're married. (laughs) Again, all these things we got to be real clear on. The pastor said, I need to be single the rest of the way. No, he did not. But, uh, if you are single, the Bible actually suggests that, that may be the way to approach this and to walk through that. So, no, we're not, we're not looking at marriage first because marriage is how we're gonna get through this. Now, having said that God anoints, ordains the single life, uses the single life, even suggests the single's life, Boy, beyond a shadow of a doubt, I think we all know very little more shapes us than a family and a home. My strength in life, my purpose in life, my clarity, direction, all of that is profoundly impacted by the, the family, the home that we come up in. Now, of course, we've got to acknowledge, yes, a family can impact us positively and Negatively, it, it, I mean, it's both. Both of those things happen there, but whether it's positive or negative, very little more shapes me. And so, yes, as I think about going forward into a world, possibly a world that's going to be challenging and difficult, man, we, I want to think about the role that my home can play. In, you know, at least at this stage in my life, we, we're all in different places. How I help my kids, my grandkids find that course, find that way. Home is a profound part of that. And we want to make sure we're using our home to build positively, to shape positively. So we're going to we're going to look at this first as we're looking at this broader topic acknowledging, hey, man, marriage is hard. Good marriages are hard, bad marriages are even harder. Does that make sense? Do I need to do the math on that? <laughs> Good marriages are hard, bad marriages are even harder, but marriage is worth it. Now, as we go through this series, I'm going to address the things you expect me to address. Yes, we're going to talk about children and, and communication and sex. We're going to hit these topics that you anticipate are a part of a marriage series. And as I said last week, what I have to say will be absolutely brilliant. It will change your life forever, except that it won't. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing today and next week. What do I mean by that? You know, folks, I believe, this is just an opinion, I don't think God made marriage to be rocket science. I don't think he made it to be a mystery that only a few people would be able to crack the code and actually enjoy marriage. No, I I don't think he made it that hard. I think it's a lot easier than we make it. Of course, the problem is we bring our selfishness into it, and now I'm moving into another sermon topic. But we, we do bring our challenges in that. And somewhere in the course of being married, we hurt each other. We hurt each other a variety of ways. And we all have different thresholds. But after a certain level, a certain amount of hurt, we can reach a place where we say, I'm, I'm done. And, and boy, we can get there. We can still be married, but be done. Done. And so I can I can read a book on marriage, I can hear a great sermon on marriage, I can I can go to a great counselor. And folks, I don't know how many times I've heard this, I think that sounds good, I think it would work in my marriage, and I don't care. I mean, just emotionally, we cross this threshold and we're finished. By the way, I absolutely anticipate at least one person in the room right now is there. And I don't want you to hear me justifying that and saying, yeah, I know, sometimes we just get there. What do you do? I'm acknowledging, yeah, we can get to a place where we've lost all motivation for our spouse or our marriage. And that's why today and next week, I'm going to talk about the motivation the why why marriage matters why you want to work on it why you want to go as hard as you can as far as you can in making that marriage work next week i think maybe one of the most revolutionary sermons you've ever heard on marriage and may make the biggest difference in understanding why god gave us marriage why i'm doing this very profound today you absolutely did not expect Today, I'm going to come at this from a very different angle. Both of them, it's not part one and part two. I'm giving you two different reasons, two different motivations. And today, I almost feel like I need to apologize, especially if this is your first time here. Here at the Heights, we believe in the Bible, right? Okay, I was hoping we'd all be on board with that. We. We believe the Bible. We believe this is God's holy, authoritative Word. We look to this for answers, for direction. We look to this to navigate an understanding of God, an understanding of life, and every piece of it. So what you're going to find when you come to the heights is we're constantly opening God's Word. And we're constantly looking there. (laughs) Except today. So today... Today I'm going to come at you from a little dip, different way. It, I, I, brand new book, I say brand new, published last year. Uh, it is not a book written by a counselor or a preacher. I'm not even sure it was written by a Christian. Not because I doubt her. She just that makes no mention to being a Christian in this book. She, it, it is published by the University of Chicago Press. That's a publishing agency that is publishing mostly academic and educational books. It has no intention of supporting anything that you and I would call biblical Christianity or biblical marriage or anything like that. As a matter of fact, what it is is an economics book. And I, and I kind of want to work from this today because it's incredible when the world without realizing comes running up on the reality God's way works. You'll never hear the word God, you'll never hear the word way, you will hear the word works. You will never hear God's way works in this book. But it is profoundly saying exactly that. And it, I think it becomes a real motivation. Wow, if even the world can see this, if the data suggests that, m- maybe this is worth it. Maybe this is worth working hard at. So the book is called The Two Parent Privilege by Melissa S. Kearney. And, uh, it sounds like it's going to be about parenting, doesn't it? Again, it's, it is an, it's an economics book. That's a strange title, but it, it is a book on economics. And in this study of economics, it makes this statement. Marriage is the most reliable institution for delivering a high level of resources and long-term stability to children. Okay, so let me just stop right there. If, if my goal is to live a life prepared, to prepare a life for a difficult world out there, hey, from a socioeconomic status, from a science status, there is a way to deliver stability. And it is in marriage. Now, Marriage is a broad word in our culture today, right? I think we're getting to where we approve about everything as marriage. She's going to make it very clear here on this very same page. She, she Again, she's never going to use the phrase biblical marriage, traditional marriage, or anything like that. But she is profoundly and clearly talking about one man... And one woman in a legal bond of marriage. The reason I say legal bond of marriage is because she's going to say the data does not support living together. A man and a woman living together who bring children into that, it does not produce the same results. That's a very important statement because she literally is going to... I'm going to read it in a moment where she says two people can accomplish more than one. To which we all go, well, duh... But it's not just any two people. She will not say a man and a woman, but she will say living together doesn't do it. Well, what about same sex? She gets really squeamish about saying anything in an LGBTQ way or agenda. For a very simple reason. The University of Chicago Press would not publish her. Period end of story. It's not that you can't say something negative about that. You can't even say something neutral about that. You have to be all in and applauding and saying this way works. And what she's going to look at is data. Now, in in fairness to same-sex marriage, There's not going to be any data for us to study right now. The data she's presenting here is 50, 60, 70 years of data. Well, obviously, we have not had same-sex marriage for decades. And we've had even less that we're trying to do parenting in that kind of relationship. So there's going to be no data there to support it. And if there was my guess from what I've read is she would she would ignore it. She would choose intellectual dishonesty. Now, who is she? Who is Melissa Kearney? Why is she making these statements? Why is she talking about marriage and parenting in an economics book? Well, I'm glad she asked. It says right here, I am a mom and an economist. Now, she makes profound statements about marriage, and never in the entire book does she refer to her marriage. So I I don't know if she's married, divorced, doesn't like her marriage. Her husband asks for privacy. I don't know. Multiple times she refers to being a parent. She never refers to being married. I am a mom and an economist in that order. I care deeply about children, all children, and their well-being. And And she has a life devoted to serving the well-being of kids. I care about the opportunities people have to live their best lives and thrive in society. Okay. So if I'm, again, let's, let's draw it back to our theme for the year. If, if I'm leaving, if I'm living in a difficult society, is there still a path for thriving and living and, and, and for my kids and my grand? Well, yes, there is. Marriage is what does that best. I have studied U.S. poverty and inequality and family structure for almost a quarter of a century. I I love words, don't you? Almost a quarter of a century. You know what that means? Probably 23, 24 years, right? But it sounds so much longer when I use the word century. I've studied for almost a quarter of a century. I approach these... I've I've been a pastor for almost a third of a century, over a third of a century. Um, I approach these issues as a hard-headed, albeit soft-hearted, MIT-trained economist... Okay, so now we start to get a, a clear definition of who she is. She went to MIT, probably a little smarter than me. I'm, I'm only going to say that once. <laughs> MIT trained economists. So her, her training, her study, her work is in economics. Based on the overwhelming evidence at hand. And folks, it really is profoundly overwhelming. It is stunning. The evidence is so clear that second place is irrelevant. The evidence is so clear that second place is actually more of the problem than it is any kind of answer. Because of the overwhelming inha- evidence at hand, I can say with the utmost confidence that the decline in marriage and the corresponding rise in the share Of children being raised in one parent homes. Now let me stop right there. This sounds like it's just talking about divorce and the single parenting that results from that. And it it certainly is addressing that. But a big thing she's addressing in this book is the amount of people that are choosing to never be married. But still want to have kids. Whether that's through adoption or surrogacy or Let's just on purpose go make a baby with no intentions of being married to each other. It's skyrocketing. That number is skyrocketing right now. So let me start over on that. The decline in marriage and the corresponding rise in the share of children being raised in one-parent homes has contributed to the economic insecurity of American families. It has widened the gap in opportunities and outcomes. That's, those are two important words to add to economics. We're not just measuring money here. We're not just measuring how much a single-parent home has versus a two-parent home. Money is being measured. It's an economic book, but it's a socioeconomic book. It's measuring everything that has to do with an individual's physical, mental, and emotional well-being. And so that's what I'm saying. It has widened the gap in opportunities and outcomes for children from different backgrounds and today poses an economic and social challenge that two very important phrases here. Number one, we cannot afford to ignore. And there's no doubt she writes this book with a sense of emergency and urgency. But then here's the really crazy phrase, but may not be able to reverse Hey, I'm writing a book to show you that all of the data says we're going the wrong direction. And honestly, I don't think we can go the right direction. Now, nowhere in this book is she going to explain why she said that. So I think, I think she's being intellectually dishonest in making the statement, but nowhere explaining the statement. And I'll, I'll, I'll come back to that in a little bit moment. Now, you think you know where she's going, right? Okay, listen to this. I am not promoting the norm of a stay-at-home wife and a breadwinner husband. You almost hear her say, God forbid... I'm not, I'm not promoting that. No, 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 no. What I am doing is arguing through an appeal to data and rigorous studies that two parents tend to be able to provide their children with more resource advantages than one parent alone. I, I, again, for an MIT trained economist, you know, I, I didn't need to go to MIT to say that. So two does more than one. Wow. Let me write that down. Um, furthermore, That a two-parent family... By the way, this next sentence is why... You might be wondering, why did you buy this book? I wanted to understand that title. And in the preface, that a two-parent family is increasingly becoming yet another privilege associated with more more highly-resourced groups in society. That word privilege is very loaded. You know that, right? That, that that word has a very specific meaning today, a very specific political meaning today. What does privilege mean? It means that person or that group has something they do not deserve and did not earn. And it's becoming more and more the idea of our society that you take, that you reduce, that you change the privilege... And so that scares me. What do you mean, two parent privilege? Where are you going with this idea? And and there she says it. And I know she's for marriage. So I don't know what she's, I don't know why she attaches that word with its political meaning to it. That a two parent family is increasingly becoming yet another privilege associated with more highly resourced groups in society. By the way, when you dive into the uh, data, Um, one man and one woman works for every race and ethnicity. Okay, so when you talk about groups and everything, you are she talking about differences between races and ethnicities? No. What is true for white? What is true for black? What is true for Latino? What is true for Asian? It's true across the board. And when you step out of that design, it equally begins to break everything down, regardless of race and ethnicity. So the that argument, so everything I've read is just to get to this statement. That argument leads me to ask why so many parents are now raising their children outside of a marital union. Boy, that's kind of an in-your-face question, isn't it? That, that, that hey, who are you, lady? <laughs> you, you don't know where I've been. You don't. You don't know what I'm going through. You're, are you saying this is my fault? Or are you saying I did this? She is sir, profoundly hoping not. As a matter of fact, she, she really fears... I mean, who makes us feel guilty? Preachers. That's their job, right? It's the preacher's job to make us feel bad. And she desperately does not want to be a preacher. You say, how do you know? Ah, oh, I'm glad you asked. Let me read. <laughs> I ask and answer these questions like the one I just asked. I ask and answer these questions as an economist, not as someone with a moral or value laden proposition. That's an academic fancy way of saying I don't want to sound like a preacher. It is really a challenge to discuss the topics of marriage and family without it feeling like a conversation about values. My hope and intention is that by taking a social science approach to these important issues, we can take them out of the intractable culture wars. I don't want to be labeled as supporting one man and one woman in a marriage, a legal bonds of marriage. I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm in a culture war. I don't want to sound like I'm on one of those sides. Please don't put me in that category. But I'm hoping we can look at the overwhelming data. And talk about this, and see if there's a way we can all work together to get to where we need to go for the American family. By the way, i, I didn't read i didn't read the uh, the subtitle to the book: "The Two Parent Privilege: How Americans Stop Getting Married and Started Falling Behind." Behind in what? Everything. Everything measurable. The further we move from marriage as a society, the further we are falling behind in everything you can measure. Now, folks, that's heavy. That's hard-hitting. Again, it adds a level of guilt. It makes us think, what have I... What have I done? Gosh, even if I stayed married, I, look what I've done to my kids. And look what now is happening in America. Hey, l- l- this is not a counseling book. These statements are not meant to say, hey, you, 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 your marriage, you, it, it, it really doesn't. And I believe she's being honest. I'm not, I'm not trying to call out a person, a group of people. I don't know what's gone on in your marriage. I don't know what necessitates the, the actions that you've taken. She really backs away from that. I would say, hey, the count, the statements I just made, those aren't counseling statements. They're not talking about what you have been through, what you are currently going through. But I think she would say, and I would join her, Whatever a marriage is going through, whatever we are going through as a society, I think she would say the data is really profoundly suggesting whatever it takes to make marriage work, we need to be all in. We need to be all in. Whatever the cost, whatever it means, we need to be all in on protecting, preserving, guarding, honoring, respecting marriage. And that, that, that just sounds like stuff preachers say, right? Which is why between the preface and the first chapter and the, fifth, uh, the last chapter, three chapters in the book, beginning and end, I think I counted five different times she apologizes for saying that. You, I, I read one of them. Four more times she's going to say, I'm so sorry that I'm saying this. So then, why are you saying it? If you're sorry that you're saying it, why are you saying it? Overwhelming evidence. Overwhelming evidence. And then the second reason, and here's where I think she's being very, very honest. The the, the title of the first chapter is called The Elephant in the Room. And she describes what her life has been and, and what she's a part of. She says, I sit on commissions. I go to conferences. My colleagues and I spend millions of dollars... Millions of taxpayer dollars, millions of foundation dollars. And what are we spending all this money to do? To make lives better. We're trying to, we're trying to help children. We're trying to help schools. We're trying to help communities. We're we're looking at all, what, what are the problems? How can we address them? What can we do to make it better? And we've come up with all kinds of things. And we all know, shh, don't say anything about the thing don't say anything about marriage we never discuss marriage we never talk about one man one woman staying married and raising kids we don't ever talk about that that's that's taboo in our i mean that's what she's basically saying in my culture in my world where we're trying to make society and everything a better place we don't talk about marriage and the data is saying and i've already said this everything else is almost irrelevant when that piece is missing and we have to start addressing that as a society. Now, again, and then she apologizes. And then makes that that statement. I don't think we'll ever get there. What, what does she mean? I, I don't think we can return to a, a, a biblical, traditional concept of marriage. No, I don't, I don't think she's saying that. Here is where I think she's being... Intellectually dishonest. I think she knows why we can't return it, but she just can't say it. Because what we value in society is saying that everything is right. Whatever you're thinking, whatever you're feeling, that's right. Whatever is your truth is your truth. However you want to find love and happiness in life, however you want to define family, however you want to find success, however you want to define... Hey, whatever it means, you do it. You you do that. And and we'll, we'll applaud you for it. You can't say anything is wrong. And as we're backing ourselves into this corner where we can't say anything is wrong, it doesn't stop at not being able to say something is wrong. We can't even say there's a better way. Hey, there's lots of good ways, but there is a better way. No, saying there's a better way means it, your way's not as good. And we can't say, I don't, don't want to hurt feelings. I don't, I don't want to make anybody feel bad. Hey, I'm all for that. Maybe it's my personality. Maybe it's because I'm a true born-bred American. I don't want to hurt people's feelings. There are people who like to hurt people's feelings, right? Hey, I think sometimes we all struggle with a little bit. I mean, anytime I can point out what's bad and wrong about you or, or another group, that just lifts me up a little bit. That just says I'm okay. It's, it's a little bit of a self-righteousness that runs through all of us, right? Right? Here's where we all together nod. Yeah, we all have a little self-righteousness. And we, and, and, and that coupled with guilt. And so anytime I can say, oh, it's them and they and that group, there's what, that's what's destroying everything. Yeah, some people do take a little bit of pleasure out of making others feel bad. I don't see Jesus doing that. And I don't see that as an actual path to fixing anything. But folks, somewhere we have to actually say, hey, there are some things that work and there are some things that don't. I'm not saying that to hurt feelings. I'm saying that, well, believe it or not, I don't have to say that today because the Bible says it. I can actually say, hey, you know, all the socioeconomic data, science, science actually says God's design works. Science actually says it not only works, it works way better. Not a little bit better. It works way better. And we're not going to say it because we don't hurt anybody's feelings. The goal is not to hurt feelings. But folks, in our appreciation for individuals and what they're going through, I I think really, honestly, we've arrived at a place where I'll let my friends, I'll let a home, I'll let an institute, I'll let anything burn to the ground before I say something is wrong. I'll, I'll let things burn to the ground before I I hurt somebody's feelings. Marriage matters. And we've stopped saying that. We've stopped saying marriage matters. Now, I, I would assume, I'm in a room of people that, you know, we believe there's a God. Roughly, yes? And not only do we believe there's a God, we believe that God has spoken. And he's introduced himself. He's told us how to find him, how to find life in him. He has told us how to make various pieces of life work, how to navigate the challenges and troubles and problems. We we would say God, God has spoke. Then should we who believe that not be first and foremost to get in line and say, how do I honor and respect and protect marriage? And, you know, I think right away, we're quick to point out there how society's broken it up, how society's messed it up. And, and, and then, hey, there's this LGBTQ agenda. Boy, we need to vote against that. We need to fight that. And, and we're quick. There's the problem. That's why all this is happening. See, you and I will look out in the world today and we'll see a maybe what we would call a gross immorality. Where did that gross immorality come from? From 50, 60 years of polite immorality. An immorality that we're, I'll say at the very minimum, I think we're comfortable with. I'm not worried if that's what's next door. I'm not worried if that's what's in my home. You know, looking at, at porn is, I mean, it goes, kind of goes without saying, right? That's not respecting and honoring and protecting marriage. Having sex outside of marriage is not honoring and protecting and respecting marriage. You know, to everybody uh, 12, 15 years old on up, if I'm having sex with somebody who's not my spouse, pretty good chance we're not getting married. I know you love that person more than anything than life, but pretty good chance you're not getting married, which now means you're having sex with somebody else's future spouse, I'm cheating against my future spouse. I'm not honoring and respecting marriage when I do that. When I make jokes about marriage, not honoring and respecting marriage, I'm bringing the view of marriage down with every joke, whether it's a joke about the institution or a joke about my particular spouse or my experience. Every time I do that, I'm bringing the whole thing down. When I'm running my spouse down before others. Yeah, well, man, you don't know what I'm going through. And I, needed, I need somebody to, to, to talk to. Can I just say this? I promise you, almost beyond a shadow of doubt, somebody at work is not the person to talk to. And while we do need to talk, and while we do need help, man, if you're not careful, you may think you're just talking about you and your situation. But as you share that with that other person, you're bringing marriage down in their eyes. If they're married, maybe even thinking, man, you know what? It doesn't work for anybody, and maybe they're going through problems. Yeah, hey, you know what? We just need to quit. So when I say, hey, we need to think about how we honor and respect marriage, the answer is not in hating somebody out there that we think is grossly immoral. The answer is not pointing the finger to somebody that's worse than us. No, 100% of us need to be thinking about thoughts and ideas and actions that we need to take in our own personal lives to respect and protect and to honor marriage. Marriage matters. And God said that to us. Hebrews 13 verse 4. Honor marriage. The whole entire society is built on it. The whole human thing going on. That's the building block. And we start giving that away. And then we wonder how we got to where we are. Folks, gross immorality started with polite immorality. Gross immorality started with an immorality that everybody was comfortable with. Accepted. If I... If I take her attitude, we're in an emergency situation. We're in an urgent situation. It's time for every one of us to think in a new and a fresh way like we probably never have before. What do I need to do to honor and respect and protect marriage? Yes, my own personal marriage, a future marriage, and the institution of marriage. What do I need to do? You know, Jesus tells us to love our enemies, right? Jesus tells us to love our enemies. For most of us, that's a vague concept. What does that mean? You know what loving our enemies means for most of us? I don't hate them, at least not out loud, (laughs) right? Based on science... The best way, I, one of the best ways I could love a society that hates me is to do everything I can to build the best marriage I can. To do everything I can to model that marriage. To do everything I can to support and encourage marriage. Because they're all choosing a way that will break down. And it will do damage. And we model what works it's not a mystery all kinds of ways to love our enemies you know i I would assume a few of us in here i hope have a good marriage like our spouse at least at the moment you know it never stops being work you know i said a moment ago good marriages are hard and bad marriages are harder i mean hey in good marriages you have seasons where you're not even sure you like them that much In good marriages, you have seasons where you know you don't like them that much. It's always work. It's hard work. And if I'm going to do something that's hard, if I'm going to do something that costs me, and folks, these are not counseling statements. I can't address every individual thing that's going on and the thresholds of of, of danger and need that are there. I, I can't do that from this spot right here. But when marriage is hard, the data says it's worth everything you got to go as far as you can. Society, a society that hates you, is counting on you doing that. Depending upon you, because they're not. It it can be one of the most loving things that we do. Who would have thought science would have been telling us that? (laughs) And yet it is. Next week, we're going to hear God tell us that. Next week, I promise, maybe... I mean, I can't say what you've read and heard, <laughs> but I promise you maybe one of the most profound reasons you've ever thought about why you're in marriage and why you're going through what you're going through in your marriage. And not our marriage is worth it. He's, he's worth it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you today and, and, uh, Lord, we're, we're, we're just all over the place in our experience with marriage, our, our experience maybe of watching parents' marriage, our, our experience of our own marriage, our experience of a couple of marriages. We're just, we're all over the place, Lord. And I thank you, I pray to one who sees where each one is, understands why they are where they are. As we could all be talking to you about one subject, but in a very different way right now. And you hear each one, and you hear with grace, you hear with wisdom, you hear with love, you hear with forgiveness. You do not listen with name-calling. You do not listen to, to, to point out our failure and our wrong and what a mess we are. God, thank you for that. Thank you that we can come before a God of grace. Lord, many of us in here will walk through a marriage in our lives, whether we're currently in it or will one day be. God, in the power of the Holy Spirit, I want to walk through that with right and proper motivations, right and proper understandings of why you put this relationship together, what you're doing in it. And Lord, I thank you that as I head into maybe difficult waters... Gosh, even a secular scientific world has to acknowledge it. Marriage matters. Lord, I pray in my thoughts and my words and all of my actions, I'll act like it. Marriage matters. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.